2: Welcome into the latest episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here, as always, with Chris Whittingham. Now that you have found us, make sure that you hit the subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast provider. We're now on more than 12 apps, actually, including Spotify and TuneIn. So check out, check us out there if you prefer to get your podcast there. Also, check out the other 14 podcasts. In our network, new episodes have come out over the past couple of days from Miami Heat Beat, three yards per carry, Fish Tank. Their episode with Mark Duper is really worth a listen, particularly after last week with Mark Clayton. Also, check out our two new podcasts, Out for the Count, and also the Chamber podcast hosted by Chris Chambers on fitness And performance. Also, thank you. We crossed the 300,000 download threshold, so we appreciate it. That is a good half hour for the Levitard Show, but it was a good six months for us, so thank you for getting us there, and we appreciate it. And and one of the reasons it took us so long, Chris, we're not going to pin this just on ourselves. One of the reasons it (laughs) took us so long is because we picked the absolute worst year in South Florida sports history to start a podcast network, and none of the teams have been particularly good. And so what we're going to try to do today is the absolutely impossible. We've brought on Chris Fisher, you can find him on NBC6. You can follow him at Fisher NBC 6 and catch him on Sports Final also on every Sunday night. And we've brought in Chris for a little bit of help. One, because we've had 18 Chrises on the network already, and we want to make it more confusing for you. Uh, we just had Christian Hernandez this week on The Heat. It's every, every day is another Chris. But we want to try to pick the five biggest sports stories in South Florida. Now, I did not say best. I did not say best. Yes. Because there was no best, Uh, so (laughs) I I have
1: an extensive list, and yet, uh, like, of the positive ones, there was like four and a half, and the mm -hmm. half was if you consider potentially trading for someone to be a positive.
2: (laughs) Right. Yeah. Three (laughs) months of pumping the network's numbers by they're going to get Jimmy Butler. Right. Exactly. That's that. That was the one there. But Chris, uh, the other Chris, Chris Fisher. Thank you for joining us for this hopeless exercise.
0: Absolutely. And just to cut down on the confusion, just call me Fisher. Everybody else does. It makes it easier. All right. That's <laughs> all, all right, we'll fair do. Enough, we, fair enough.
2: We, we, go, we go with Witty inside the network. All right. So we're going to count these down from five down to one. We've each, we've each spent a lot of time. Uh, Whittingham had his spreadsheets to, to track it. I just went back through our most popular episodes. We're going to go five down to one in terms of the biggest stories in South Florida, this year, we will take turns. I'm going to go to Fisher first here. Okay, your number five story in South Florida in 2018.
0: Unfortunately, it's it's um, a downing story uh, where the Florida Panthers. They went on a huge stretch back in February, um, going 20-9 to close out the year after uh, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas um, incident, the shooting there at the school. Just the way that they honored the school and the way they were able to play down the stretch – after beginning the season uh, terribly, it looked like they might be able to creep into the playoffs, but eventually they never made it in, finishing uh, one point short. I've got them coming in as story number five and just the way they were able to play for the South Florida community
1: yeah and for me you look at the way that they're playing now they lost again last night on day of taping to the St. Louis Blues they're you know second from bottom in the Eastern Conference wildcard race they're doing the same thing again which is they'll they'll you know they'll start the season poorly they'll have a bunch of road games they'll have games in hand and then they'll make a second half round and they'll probably miss the playoffs by two or three points that's how every season seems to go for them and it really is about now obviously we don't really get to hockey you know really until they get close to a playoff chase here in South Florida but these are the months in which this is being decided it's it's October October, November, December, that the Panthers have been missing the playoffs in recent years. And I think they're going to do it again.
2: And what you always talk about, you say games in hand, but we're always saying games in hand, right? It's like the, the dolphins, as we speak, are in the hunt. The <laughs> Panthers have games in hand. The Heat have their culture, right? The, we, the should, Canes
1: are- we, should, we should rename the Golden Ice podcast the games in hand podcast. Games <laughs> in hand. The Canes, the Canes are
2: back, right? We heard That's that right, one. Of yeah. Canes are back. These are all the favorite phrases. Why,
1: why do we, we think of these when we were naming the podcast? We should we I like think, our, our, our Canes podcast should be called we're back or something. We're, like
2: ba- that. we're back. We're back. Canes. Yeah, definitely should. I'm going to talk to Goldie later today. Actually we're, 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 cha- we're changing it to games at hand. Uh, yeah. It, it, it's very frustrating. I was there the other night uh, against the Rangers And, you know, obviously the crowd was 75% Ranger fans, but, but that was an entertaining game, but it also showed you this team's flaws again. Um, You know, they, they have a top line that can play with any top line in the NHL with, with Barkoff and Huberto in particular, and obviously Trochik's out and he was kind of manning the second line. They've added Hoffman that's worked out uh, better than a lot of other acquisitions. And we actually have an interview with Mike Hoffman's going to come up on our feed here this week, but. There's not enough depth. They have no protection behind Luongo at this stage. They're counting on him entirely. The defense is so-so. They give up goals at the wrong time. So, yeah, it is frustrating. We'll be having this conversation in March and being like, why did they drop all those games in November and December? So that's a good number five. Uh, Chris, what is your number five?
1: Now I'm going to be utterly predictable here and say that uh, it is MLS Miami officially being granted expansion in January, the club being named, and uh, the stadium plan plan being put to referendum and them winning it. Uh, this is a long dragging on saga. It's been, I think f- we're nearing on the f- the six year anniversary of the initial press conference down at the museum, uh, the museum park down in Miami, where it was officially announced as Beckham has chosen Miami. And we've gone through a million stadium stadium plans. We've learned in the last year that if not for Ho- uh, Jorge Mas coming in at the last minute that he was not, that this was going to die. And so the fact that we went from death to officially having you know a, a team and colors and a stadium plan that looks like it's going to go ahead, uh, I would say that that's pretty significant in, in towards the long-term sports landscape of this market because uh, I think Miami without soccer doesn't really make sense. America not having a team in Miami in soccer doesn't really make sense. So the fact that they were finally able to get that over the line is my fifth biggest story, uh, sports story.
0: I'm surprised that's number five for you, William. <laughs> I, know. I figured that would have been your number one. A one that for a five.
1: What one through five? Wait, wait, what I, you guys don't know like, is four is going to be the same, and three is going to be the same, and two <laughs> is going to be the same, and one is going to be the same.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I was expecting. I actually almost put that five. I was going to put it five along with, uh, with Derek Jeter in this the context in this context, which is that, uh, Beckham and Jeter together seem both totally committed to this market, and, and that and that is something we were sort of waiting to see. I know not everybody likes what Jeter is doing, but he's here. He's been present. Uh, He's been much more available than, say, other executives have come to town. I mean, where Bill Parcells just took off for the track every day. Um, You know, Jeter has been, you know, he's been in the community and he seems to want to make this thing work. So I was going to put Beckham and Jeter together. But for number five, I'm going to go with one positive story uh, related to the Dolphins. I know this is going to shock Whittingham, um, but <laughs> but we had a conversation before the season about would they find any stars, right? Like this was a totally starless team. They had one guy in the top 100 for NFL Network, and that was Cameron Wake at age 35 or 36 in the 70s. Um, I think they found two stars this year, and that's more than I was anticipating, which is I think they have a legitimate star in Xavier Howard. We'll see if he plays the rest of the season. And they have a Uh, To me, a a surefire star going forward in Minka Fitzpatrick. And for a team that has struggled so much to find quality, even at the top of the draft, to have those two guys that they've drafted now in the first and second round in recent years. And you throw Tunsil in, who I think has had a really good season. I think for the first time in a while, we're like, there's some actual young players on this Dolphins team that we like that are going to be here for a while. And one of the reasons this came to mind for me Is is our fish tank podcast? And I was thinking about this the other day. Like, who is when Seth Levitt is still doing that podcast for us in fifteen years with OJ McDuffie? (laughs) Who are they going to draw from from the last ten years? Right, right. I mean, Carlos Dansby, uh, Brandon Marshall. Like, who's coming? Brian Hartline. Like, who's coming back? Um, I feel like they finally have some real stars building there, and that is a positive. And I just wanted to stun everybody by giving you a dolphin's positive. so that's so that's number five. Let's go to Fisher for number four.
0: Well, let's go back to week six with your fins. The overtime thriller beating the bears. thirty one twenty eight. Kenyon Drake fumbles at the goal line. Bears miss the field goal, and Jason Sanders knocks through the forty two yarder to shock everybody over a thousand yards of offense in that game. It's an yeah. incredible game. They're talking about it nationally. I mean, I think it it kind of let everybody know, hey, Dolphins do stand a puncher's chance to make the playoffs.
1: Yeah, and to me, the oddest thing about it, I really think historians are going to look back at this Bears season now. It'll depend on them, like, making a Super Bowl run. But, like, if they go all the way, if they, like, knock off the Saints in round two and the Rams in round three and get to the championship, and everyone's going to be, oh, it's one of the greatest defenses. And it's incredible that this amazing defense in this offensively driven era was able to get all the way to the Super Bowl or the NFC Championship game and then they're going to look through their schedule and go, "Hang on a second. You have 550 yards to Brock Osweiler? What the hell? What <laughs> the hell happened there?" Yeah. Like like it is the ultimate oddity in the context of this season that the greatest defense in the, in the NFL this season, by some margin, there isn't really competition for that title for the Bears. That the Dolphins did that. Like and, and as you, as we've as we've chronicled on this podcast in the in the context of Dolphins history, a historically struggling offense, an offense that at times looked incompetent over the course of the year. They scored 31 points and won against the Bears with 550 yards of their backup quarterback that is the nationally derided backup quarterback in the NFL. It makes no sense. Actually, I didn't have that on my list, but I think that's a really good shout.
0: We go back to 86 with the Bears when they lost only one game on the way to the Super Bowl. They had a vaunted defense at that time. Yeah, it was Dan Marino getting it done. But he <laughs> didn't throw up 380 yards like Brock Osweiler. I mean, that is an anomaly, to say the least. That was his first start for the Dolphins. It was an incredible game, and I think uh, like it was in 86, Maybe the South Florida factor played into it, and we saw that this past weekend against the Patriots.
2: Yeah, we—I've seen Marino, and he's no Osweiler. I mean, it's not even—it's not even—it's—it's—it's not—it's not even. I
1: learned this year that he went like a year and a half without taking a sack. So yeah, I'm uh, going to go and say he's—I'm going to go say he's not Osweiler. I—I—I <laughs>
2: I, I, I think I think I think people who did not—I mean, if you if you saw how how old are you, Fisher? I'm 38. So the '84 season, you were four. Then, right, roughly, yeah, something like that. Yep. Um, okay, I was uh, old already, I was, um, I was, I was 11, and that season. Dan Marino looked like the greatest athlete in the history of earth. Uh, I, he just, I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was comparable. It, it, it had to have to been Florida's like, best season. it
1: had to have been go been like from going from black and white to color, right? Like just, mm-hmm. just like the, the, <laughs> the difference in which the NFL offense is being played with this quarterback compared to the way it had been for the previous 15, 16 years. Like it had to have been revolutionary.
2: Well, how would you have liked to have been a kid on Long Island who made the argument that the Jets made the better pick by taking Ken O'Brien? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. oh, no. I, 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 still, I still have that number seven jersey somewhere somewhere up there. That's I don't right. know what Kenny's doing these days, but I made that argument. But That's a good one, Fisher. That's off the board. I, I would not have necessarily gone with that one. I'm going to go number four. Uh, and I know you guys are probably going to have this higher. Uh, I'm going to go with the shock at the rock number four. I actually,
1: uh, I, I have, I have the shock at the rock four too. Okay, because yeah. and
2: because I, I have three that I think are bigger picture stories. Sure. I mean, this was, this was kind of, you know, look, this was an amazing moment. Um, I think in a lot of ways, it, it does change the framework of the organization because I think Adam Gase was under a lot of, in my view, very rightful heat uh, previous to this, and now having one incredibly well-designed play in a game that you were very competitive against the Patriots and scored points, which is something that the Dolphins had not been doing. I think you put all of that together, and then you have something that was executed absolutely perfectly at home against the team that's tortured you for 18, 19 years, that was going to win the division on your field. It's a tremendous thing. Now, at the same time, I put a poll up on Five Reasons Sports yesterday. I said, if you can only have one, which would you take? The shock at the rock play, the Ray Allen shot, and the and the Renteria hit. Okay, mm-hmm. and to me, shock at the rock is third because it doesn't have the. Consequences of the other two. I mean, the, and to me, Renteria first. Most people would not agree with that. They're yep. going to say Ray Allen. It's a walk off
1: game seven, man. Like right, right. Ray, <laughs> I Allen, mean, didn't, Ray <laughs> Allen didn't walk off with the championship. He kept it alive, and they still had to win the rest of the the, the overtime and the next no, game. But,
2: but nobody ever remembers game sevens when you have a ga- great game six, right? That is like the '86 Mets. Everybody remembers Game Six, right? Buckner, Mm -hmm. Mookie, etc. Nobody remembers Ray Knight's home run in Game Seven. Like nobody remembers what happened in that game. Okay, Game Seven, Uh, and and in that situation, you go back to um, Carlton Fisk's home run in Game Six. Okay, Reds, Red Sox, seventy-five. Nobody remembers what happened in Game Seven. There's this history in sports of these incredible Game Sixes, and then these Game Sevens that total afterthoughts. Um, So to me, it's Renteria's hit. Would be first because again that was a first World Series for that team that had only been in existence for five years, and it was a great, great World Series. I mean, it was every bit the World Series that uh, that the NBA Finals were in 2013. So anyway, I'm going to put the Shock at the Rock fourth. That's where now, now, I,
1: I will. I will say the argument for having a bit more staying power. Is that number one? It does kind of cap off this narrative of the Patriots in Miami. That and and Alfredo pointed this out on on his podcast on three yards per carry this week. That Tom Brady is going to go uh, the entirety of his career under five hundred at Hard Rock Stadium, and that's like going to be like the one. Again, we're going to look back in twenty years ago. Wait, what? Like how, like how is it possible? But the other thing too is it will be a clip that will live on forever. It will be when they do clip shows in twenty years when uh, we don't have televisions and it's all on YouTube. If they do great. Endings to it to to games to NFL games to sporting events. Period. I think that touchdown is going to live on forever. So it does have a staying power, a lasting power that maybe some of these other stories, as much as they have sort of shorter term lasting power. I think in the end, I think that clip is going to be played so often uh, that I feel like it will kind of live on forever in some ways.
0: Let me ask you guys this: Is it more attractive to you that that play developed, or? the fact that the Patriots knew it was coming because when you talk to him in the locker room afterward, they knew that play was coming. They knew a lateral was coming and it wasn't going to be a Hail Mary.
1: <laughs> and that's and, a tough and, question. And, and, yet, I, and yet Gronk was out there. Why is Gronk yeah, out there? I, right. I don't
2: know. I don't, I'll tell you what, Still Simon Clancy, them, I, I don't know who listened, if you guys listen to three yards per carry this week, but our Simon Clancy just went off on Belichick for about three minutes on that one. Like, I, th- there's no justification for Gronk being out there unless you think Tannehill is going to reach the end zone with the throw, which there, as he said, there are only a couple quarterbacks in the NFL, maybe Mahomes. Maybe Josh Allen yeah, that would have right. that would have made that throw. And and that was and this is Ryan playing through at what we know is not a good shoulder right now. Like he's not and an even worse anything. ankle, probably. Right. So how is he gonna plant and make that throw? What is Gronkowski's purpose out there? Especially when you had McCourty sitting over on the sidelines. Like that made absolutely no sense. It's funny, for a guy who has been absolutely brilliant for 18, 19 years, Belichick, there are some times, man, like even go back to the two thousand eight Wildcat game. Like I I mean he, he was totally bamboozled in that game um you know the decision you know not to play the corner in the Super Bowl last year okay whose name escapes me right now is in Tennessee uh, Butler right Malcolm Butler like uh, some Malcolm of the Butler. decisions Yeah, some of the decisions he's made over the years uh, haven't made a ton of sense.
1: Today's episode of the 5 Reasons Sports Podcast is brought to you by AutoNation. AutoNation makes it easy to customize your new or used ride with a huge selection of AutoNation auto gear accessories. AutoNation is your one-stop shop to get your vehicle auto gear equipped with the top brand. Schedule your auto gear session today at an AutoNation store near you. Design specialists will take you through the entire customization process step-by-step, helping you create the vehicle of your dreams for new wheels to a customized Entertainment system—we've got you covered. Qualified buyers right now can take advantage of zero percent financing for sixty months. Schedule your session today. Visit Autonation.com to find the nearest location. Today's edition of the Five Reasons podcast is also brought to you by Bet DSI. Be sure to use the promo code Reason One Hundred and One when you check out and start your new account with Bet DSI. You can gamble on absolutely anything. I'm starting first with the NFL. My goodness, is the Thursday night game fantastic? Kansas City Chiefs playing host Los Angeles Chargers. Chiefs favored by three and a half in that one I have no idea how I'm gonna bet I will say though I'm going to wager on that game of football Miami Dolphins away from home against Minnesota seven point underdogs that's right that Minnesota Vikings team that struggled until the very end to get a single point against Seattle or seven point favorites against the Dolphins I'm not saying but I think I kind of like the Dolphins plus seven and the Dolphins plus 258 to win outright and then college football bowl season is starting so you know what there's gonna be a game in the middle of the afternoon play between Toledo and FIU do you want to action on a game that starts at one third of the afternoon well then you got to start your account
2: at bet DSI use the promo code reason 101 at checkout let's go to number three and I'll start this one uh to me it's the loss of confidence in Mark Richt um I, I think when you look at the context of the Kane season they beat FSU and Virginia Tech and nobody cares because I think that Mark Richt came into the season like with a honeymoon unlike a lot of other coaches in this market. He got a new extension. He started 10-0 last year. There was a feeling if he could just find a quarterback or decide on a quarterback that you'd be in position potentially to contend for a national championship. They started the year favorites against LSU – a game a game that we thought they were going to win so much that we we had a watch party for it. Okay, it was a total disaster. Um, and to me, the, the larger context of the program is that Canes fans, who I think were all in on Mark Richt before the year, now they question the play calling. Now they're stressed about Manny Diaz leaving. Okay, which means you're going to have to replace another core, another coordinator, and the one who has done the best work for them this season. About recruiting. The stress about recruiting has been bad. Check out uh, the the new Five Rings Canes episode we have in our network. Andrew Ivins appeared on there again to try to clarify some of that stuff. But whatever you want to say, it hasn't been good. It hasn't been what it was supposed to be this season. So uh, to me, what always happens in this market is coaches, certain coaches have honeymoons, and then there's a point. There's a pivot where the fans turn on them, and it's very hard to get it back. And it's happened with many, many coaches in this market. I remember Sperano's first year. He was a genius, the Wildcat. By the middle of the second year, people were making fun of fist-pumping field goals. Okay, this When it happens, it happens. It even happened with Saban in the second season. It happened with Jimmy in the fourth season. It happened with Wanstat pretty quickly. But with a lot of coaches in this market, um, that's happened. It's happened It's happening with the Panthers coach right now, okay? Uh, and, and I feel like that has happened. If you look at the message boards, if you look at Twitter, I feel like that's happened with Rick. And I feel like there's some regret now about the extension and whether or not he's he's fit for this century in terms of offense, whether he needs another play caller. So I have that at number three.
0: I have to completely agree with you. I think that's a huge storyline. And I was just doing radio up in Tampa the other day. We were talking about the Mark Rick situation and his nephew, Max Johnson, uh, Brad Johnson's son choosing LSU over him I mean even with a family tie this guy can't pull in recruits so with Manny Diaz potentially leaving for Temple we'll have to wait and see how that plays out but I think he should be your head coach I mean this is the guy who brought in the turnover chain who kind of turned the culture back to what it was there's was such an insatiable hunger for Hurricanes fans to get back to winning that they bought all in. They put all their chips in despite losing the final three games of the season last year, ready for this year to turn that corner, to be a national championship contender. And the absolute letdown that the Ricks, I'm going to put that plurally, the Ricks, John Rick and Mark Rick have brought to this offense. It's terrible. And and the fact that the Canes fans have been able to turn on him so quickly, that's rather surprising how much they were boasting him up before the season even began. I think ultimately down the road here, Mark Rick knows that you know his time uh, could be up rather soon because of the fact that the Canes fans are all over him. It showed how much potential they have to go back to winning and sell out Hard Rock Stadium and, and bring a revenue to the Hurricanes program that I don't think Blake James is going to allow them to lose that revenue that they were showing they have the potential to provide if Mark Rick continues to be the head coach.
1: Right. I I feel like a lot of fans are facing the decision to renew their season tickets. They're looking at next year's schedule and going, I'm I'm certainly one of them, but I I do think that you look at, and, and now we can sort of say that, when they were 10-0 and and number two in the college football playoff rankings, that it was on the back of their defense, and that even when they got, you know, even when they went as far as they did, their offense was okay, like it was good enough to sustain the fact that their defense was incredible in creating turnovers at this really high rate, but then you look at this year, that contrast has only grown, they couldn't figure out the quarterback position, and the defense, all the while that their offense goes four weeks without scoring more than 20 points, they're holding opponents to 24 and 27, which is more than enough to get the job done in college football like their defense has held up their end of the bargain really ex- really safe for the opener against LSU they've done their job in every game this year and the offense has failed them again and again and again that defense is a 10-2 11-1 defense and I, like you said if you if you lose Manny Diaz for me he's what makes the program unique at this point and Mark Ricks will be look around going well what am I going to do to save this because I don't think I have the quarterback uh, the offense is coming along really slowly am I going to bring in a play caller which play call or am I going to bring in? Like, I, I just think that there's a shortage of ideas right now on offense. That on top of the internal strife in the program, players leaving in the middle of the season, and and I think that you look at the coaching situation right now and the popularity rating for, for Manny Diaz is far higher than it is for Mark Richton it is kind of amazing that all it took was one year it was one year to go from 10-0 and, and in number two in the, in the college football playoff rankings having beaten Notre Dame on national television featured on college game day to this and, and this feels eerily familiar to the last 15 years for Canes fans
2: alright Winningham, what is your number three then
1: mine is the Miami Marlins trading the National League MVP Christian <laughs> Yelich uh, I, I just if that happened in late January, by the way. So it's, it counts for calendar 2018. And for the Marlins to have done this in two straight years is insane. It's, it's absolutely crazy that they traded the National League MVP in 2017 to the Yankees. And then they traded the 2018 National League MVP to the Brewers, uh, who then went on a run in the postseason. Like, you now look back and say, I remember at the time, I think it was probably, I want to say 2015, I was still working at 790 at the time. And uh, they sent me out to Marlins Media Day. And Michael Hill was saying we have the best outfield in baseball. I'm like, what are you guys, what are you on about? Like, I, you look at their numbers at the time, and and I, I didn't think Christian Yelich was a particularly impressive player. I was more on the Brendan Tobin side of things, where you, you know he was basically saying I'll I'll, eat, I'll literally eat crow if he hits more than 20 home runs. Like that's where I was with him. I didn't I thought I didn't think he was a special player. He's a damn National League MVP. Like it's an absolute a travesty that you've you've traded the MVPs in two consecutive years. Like. They had the core of a championship-winning team. That's going to sound crazy to say about the Marlins. They had the core of a championship-winning team. And look, uh, I was listening to David Samson on with Lebitard, uh talking about everything that they did in their negotiating process. And well done to David Samson because they were selling the team one way or another. And yet he found a way to without uh, without anyone's help. It was him and he said his his attorney that drove up that asking price to 1.2 billion dollars. But the asking price ended up crippling the franchise. If they sell the if they sell the franchise for 800 million and someone uses the 400 million dollar difference to invest in the team I think they could have gone on a playoff run and I think it is scandalous and if anyone cared if anyone still bothered to have emotions about the Marlins after they've been killed for 25 years it's it's, it's incredible they The trade the MVP in consecutive years I think that's absolutely massive and it doesn't it's sort of it, it doesn't dwindle to me just by virtue of the fact that the Marlins aren't particularly relevant in the market
2: Well, and and here's the one thing I want to jump in on this, and I'm going to let Fisher jump in, um, is the difference between Stanton and Yelich was there was a compelling reason to trade Stanton, right? And, And I think there may be some buyer's remorse in New York now. I mean, the compelling reason was that is just not a sustainable contract for a market like this. And he was also a guy who had holes, okay? For all the home runs, he had holes, okay, where he would go through long, 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 long droughts. He wasn't necessarily a build around guy. The problem with the Yelich move is that there was the only compelling reason to, for that trade was they didn't see him as someone who wanted to be there. Okay. I mean, even Craig Mish on, on our Swings and Missions podcast tried, to, he gave Michael Hill the out to admit that that was the reason, because we all know that was the reason that they did not like Yelich as a clubhouse guy and that's one of the reason, one of the major reasons they moved him. Now, they did get better prospects back from Yelich uh, than they did for Stanton, or at least it appeared at the time, although Brinson struggled so much. We'll have to see what Monte Harrison is. But that, to me, is the issue with it. it with Stanton, I, I think there's a justification for trading Stanton. Maybe it didn't go as you wanted. Maybe it would have been better if he would have accepted a trade to the Cardinals or the Giants. You could have gotten more than you got from the Yankees. But I, I know why Jeter and this group had to do that. With Yelich, I just I don't. Understand it, and, and I, I kind of feel the same way about Rio Muto to be honest. And as we're speaking here, that trade could happen today. But I, I mean, you got to pick somebody to build around, right? Like, I mean, and, and they had in those two guys. I mean, Rio Muto, they got to give an extension to, but in Yelich, they had that thing locked up. Like, I—that's the one I just don't get.
0: Well, as you talk about Yelich and being a home run hitter, it, he's just not one. I know he was able to display it in Milwaukee, but he's not a big power guy. He's just gap to gap guy, and when ball leaves the yard, you know, he just happens to get a good swing on it put together an MVP caliber season, rightly so, but he also has a bunch of guys sitting around him like he did when he was here in Miami. And when you're in that clubhouse two years ago with Yelich and Stanton, it was obvious the alpha dog was Stanton. And then the residual effect, it kind of oozed off him onto Yelich and they carried rather the same attitude. And that's not the type of attitude that they wanted in the clubhouse. It was surprising considering how team friendly Yelich's contract was that they moved in, but You had to understand with this ownership group coming in, and if you go back and you look at not so much Derek Jeter, but Bruce Sherman's past, this is a man who made his money through selling off newspapers, slashing and burning newspapers, which a lot of now media guys have transitioned out of newspaper, whether it's podcasts or doing the different things on the web that they're doing nowadays, because of guys and, and tycoons like Bruce Sherman. So. You knew he was going to come in and slash and burn the Marlins the same way. I feel like Jeffrey Lurie and David Sampson drew up a plan years ago, maybe five, six years ago. It said 2012, excuse me, not 2012, back in 2012, looked at 2018, 2017, said, look, we're going to make a run at the World Series. I'm going to want to sell the team at the time because I think that's when I'll have the most profitability. We'll have a new stadium. We'll balloon Giancarlo Stanton's contract up and then we'll make it backloaded so that when I have to sell the team, when I sell the team, it's, Left on somebody else's shoulders to have to deal with Stan's contract. It's not my problem any longer. I think this is the plan the entire time for these guys. And it's unfortunate because when you go back years down the road, decades down the road, they're going to look back in baseball history and say the Miami Marlins did what? They traded back-to-back MVPs. And don't kid yourself. Arcelo Zuna has a chance to win the MVP mm-hmm. next year with St. Louis mm-hmm. with Paul Goldschmidt now batting right beside him.
2: No, that's totally true, and it's also the same organization that they're going to be saying what they traded Miguel Cabrera in his prime for for Burke Badenhop, Cameron Maben, and Andrew Miller before everybody figured out that Andrew Miller would be a really good reliever. Like that, that's what they did. Um, It's just it's the history of the organization. But I do think the fact that I didn't even use that one as one of my top five, Chris, I think shows that. Uh, we're kind of immune to it at this point uh, to a certain degree. Like that, uh, it didn't even come up for me. Oh, yeah, they traded MVP. Okay, they do that every year. Uh, <laughs> F- Fisher, Fisher, what's your number three? D Wade turns back the clock.
0: Game two, the NBA playoffs, where uh, right in front of Kevin Hart talking smack to him, buries the big bucket in 14 points in the second half. So, Winning game two of the NBA playoffs, first round there in Philadelphia was a big win and a big D-Wade back, D-Wade moment.
2: D-Wade, I think, is going to come up for some of ours uh, as we go forward. Now let's go now to number two. Um, Fisher, I'll let you start. I
0: have the Miami miracle there, or the shock at the rock, the Magic City miracle, whatever you want to call it, Kenyon Drake and the 69-yard run. I just think for the moment, the instance of 2018, not a lot of positives this year to talk about. That was an incredible moment. Uh, people will be talking about for years to come, and it's something Dolphins could surely use after uh, all the rough years to be able to have an exhilarating moment like that over the Patriots to beat Tom Brady, as you said, a losing record at Hard Rock Stadium and just make it more of a house of horrors for the Patriots to Bill Belichick. That's that's just a huge accomplishment, I think, by the Dolphins.
1: Yeah, so in, ter- in terms of Drake, I-, I totally understand that being higher. For me, number two, I, I-, I swapped out uh, what you put for number three, Ethan, and that would be the Hurricanes. I-, I didn't focus it as much as Mark Richter. Obviously, he's the head coach, and so the figurehead will get all the blame for it, but I, I kind of took it from just the program taking huge steps steps back that we felt that in year one under Rick, it took a step forward. In year two, you beat your rival, you get to number two in the playoff rankings, you get to a major bowl game. And then I sort of laid out this year that the next step for me was going to be winning a major bowl game. It didn't have to be getting into the playoff. It had to be, you know, get to the Peach Bowl and beat UCF or something like that. Like it would be sort of that next incremental step for the program. But instead, you've kind of unraveled all the foundation that you were building. You don't have a quarterback you're losing important players on defense you might lose your defensive coordinator recruiting has gone down when I thought that was going to be the thing that would be stable throughout the entirety of the of the Rick tenure and I think that because yeah, we're talking about as well adding a practice facility, the stadium, building good environment, like all these things were going in the right direction. Like everything you'd want out of out of a college football program. Then spending money, having a nice stadium, a great atmosphere, a building program, great recruiting, assistants that are doing well, uh, player development, good scheme. Like everything you'd want out of a college football program was uh, sort of heading in. Was sort of heading into the right direction. And the fact that it's gone in such the opposite direction in one year it was like a four-week stretch where you lose to Virginia you lose to Duke you lose to all these milling ABC on the road you get hammered by them that it was so far in the other direction for me it's just it's monumental and you enter next season they open the year with a neutral site game in Orlando against University I have zero confidence right now that they can go there and win that game. When again, we're talking about building foundation. Dan Mullen did in a year what you what what Mark Rick did in two, and you feel like Dan Mullen's going to carry on in that direction, and it's going to be pretty frightening if Florida's going in the right direction at the same time as Miami isn't. Because again, I think Miami after Muschamp was fired, and after McElwain was fired, and for uh, for Florida State after Jimbo was let go and 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 wasn't let go. He went to Texas A and M. That now. Miami had the upper hand on the other two big schools in Florida, and that Miami was in the right direction while the other two had a a pretty significant rebuild job on their hands. And now, all that's gone in one year. And frankly, it took like four weeks for that to happen.
2: Want to tell you about another great sponsor of the Five Reasons Sports Network. And for this one about PC reboot, I'm going to speak to personal experience because I started going to Barrington about six months ago. Because I'm terrible with computers, I get extremely frustrated with them and all of my different devices. I was looking for somebody. I just happened to stumble upon. His great reviews online. So I went to check him out over in Pembroke Pines. He's over in East Pines on 8970 Taft Street. And I had a great experience. And so I've been going back ever since. And the reason I had a great experience is not only does he know what he's doing, he's got over 20 years of experience fixing computers. He's a Microsoft certified technician, but he also fixes all types of other products. But he's honest. He told me what the problem was, he told me what it should really cost. And then again, this week. I had another issue because my battery is not working very well on my Dell computer. So I brought it to him. Any other technician basically would have taken the money out of my pocket double charge me. And he's like, have you checked to see if this thing's under warranty? And I'm like, "Uh, no, I haven't. And so I went back, checked if the thing's under warranty. And now I'm getting a free battery sent to me. And that's because, again, he's honest. He's only going to fix what he thinks he needs to fix and nothing more. And he's going to charge you the right price for it. He does smartphone and tablet repair. He does game console repair. He does smart home and surveillance, camera installation, website design, all of that stuff. So check out his website. Here's what it is. It's i reboot.com. That's I Reboot.com. Again, 8970 Taft Street in Pines. Phone number is 954- 442-1002. And when you call Barrington, talk a little Miami sports with him. He's a big Miami sports fan. And it's not just them either. You mentioned the, the two big schools. Um, uh, they're the third best team in the state right now because UCF <laughs> lost its coach and continues to roll on. I know we can talk about schedule, but I, to me, it's just, I and mean, we did a whole episode on this. I, it's just amazing to me where they are as compared to where Miami is. So I know I think that's a good one for number two. I, I think, you know, look, the Canes situation this year, that is the biggest disappointment. I mean, we can talk about, I mean, the Dolphins are seven and six. I mean, for all my criticisms, of Madam Gase and their offense, they're seven and six. Like I, I I, bet them over at six and a half. I don't know why you know, I got to get bet DSI to pay me, but, uh, but they, they're, <laughs> But they're, uh, but, but I mean, they're they're over, you know, already. Um, and the Heat are kind of what I thought the Heat would be, uh, pretty much, and sort of in between, trying to figure out what direction they're going. The Canes are the team, uh, you know, and the Panthers, you know, I think we all sort of had high hopes, as Fisher was talking about earlier, that like maybe this was the year. But I think we all know better, like the way that they start. But the Canes, like this was supposed to be a ten-win team this year, and and uh, you know, fancying it up with a couple wins at the end and and going to play in the Pinstripe Bowl against Wisconsin like i I don't know that that has a big effect on what we thought before the season where they total the bottom totally fell out of it. I mean Pittsburgh should never be representing the coastal okay in the a c c championship game that just should that should not be happening u c f should not be better than miami all right Th- these these are just not things that should be happening, so I agree with you. i'm gonna go with number two, and I think this is probably gonna surprise um you guys a little bit that I don't have this first, but I've got Dwayne Wade's return to the heat and deciding not to retire as two. And, and the reason is I think there's a bigger picture thing at one, but in terms of, uh, in terms of Wade, look, it's a tremendous story. Um, I think it's remarkable how he's playing this year because we've talked about this on other pods. I mean, he's basically playing at his 2015, 16 level, where, you know, he was counted on a lot more than he was supposed to be counted on this year. If you look at on a per-minute basis, he's been good, okay? It's not, not has he not been embarrassing? He's been good, and and he's been good after not knowing whether he's going to play all offseason and saying he was 90% against playing. So I didn't know what kind of shape he'd be in physically, mentally, all the rest of his. and he's really been good. He's obviously given them a shot in the arm that they needed in terms of marketing and everything else. I think we saw the other day with the LeBron thing what this re- farewell tour will be like on the best days. I mean, there are some days it's a little silly. Okay. But on the best days, when he goes to New York for the last time, when he goes to Chicago for the last time, those two are on the same road trip, by the way, in January, um, when he goes to Dallas for the last time, there's a history there when he goes to Milwaukee for the last time, since he played collegiately there, I, I think there's some fun stuff when he goes to Boston for the last time. Um, so I think it's been great that he came back. Um, I think it's bought the heat a little bit of time to kind of figure out what they want to do. I just I just don't have it, number one, because I think there's a bigger picture thing. But the other thing I want to mention along with Wade is it's not just Wade. Frank Gore has been remarkable this season. PFF, Pro Football Focus, had him uh, yesterday. They, he's their fourth-ranked back in the entire league this year at his age. I mean, it's, it's a terrific story. Roberto Luongo at 39. Look what happened when Roberto was out, okay? <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, seriously, like um, Cameron Wake, who I know doesn't have the sack numbers, but also is one of the highest-ranked defensive ends in the league um, by anybody who who's watched the film, like PFF, et cetera. Danny Amendola has given them really good play uh, for, the, for the Dolphins this year, and he's stayed relatively healthy. The old guys in this market, have been better than sort of. Uh, there are a few young guys I like, but better than the mid-career guys. There's a lot of average mid-career guys in this market, um, and there's there's a few old guys who do things right on the field, off the field, the way that they prepare. Uh, so I've got all of that together. Wade, Wake, you know Amendola, Gore, Luongo. That's my number two. And that's
0: rather interesting because when you look at Dwayne Wade, a lot of us wondered going into the season how that was going to play out. I mean, thirty six years old. Like you said, Ethan, we didn't know what kind of shape he was going to come in with, but nobody and nobody in South Florida wanted him to go out without being able to put up the type of points that he's able to do, not regularly, but intermittently. And and it's amazing that he can dip into those old type of D-Wade kind of days, the flash kind of plays that we see from him, um, being more of an assist guy now. But nobody wanted him to go out only averaging maybe three, four points a game in limited minutes. He's still proving that he's, tapped into the fountain of youth and, and still have it. And I think that's special for eight fans, especially, you know, heading out to the Triple A or whether it's the Staples center to see him play one last time.
2: Yeah. And, and, and here's the one other thing about that. Carmelo Anthony can't get a job right now. I mean, that's his contemporary, yeah. right? That was the guy drafted second overall in that draft. I mean, Bosch's circumstances, that's not his fault, but just, just think about that. Like Carmelo Anthony is a broken below-average player that nobody in the league wants right now. And Dwayne Wade is the highest-usage player on the Heat. Not saying that's a great thing. It's so
1: easy for this to be sad, right? It's so mm -hmm. easy for endings to see, you know, broken bodies and nobody wants you and you're corrosive. Like for Dwayne Wade to, like I, last year, I don't even think he made an on-court impact in the regular season, obviously in the playoff game. And Chris, you mentioned it with uh, with the game two he had in Philly. But I, I don't think it, his on-court impact has really been that great. But uh, you look at, you know, for example, since he's come back from paternity leave, uh, on the floor, they've been 9.3 points per 100 possessions with him on the floor. And that has not always been the case uh, since he's come back with the Heat. So I I, I do find that with Dwayne Wade the fact that it's in a positive way both on and off the floor and frankly this is going to sound weird to include in the conversation about him but the fact they're getting this for the minimum like mm-hmm. like the heat the heat don't even have to pay for this like especially right. considering the lack of value that they have across their roster one of the few things they've handled well for me in the last few years is Dwayne Wade's departure and then return because you did have a, a some of absence makes the heart grow fonder he he you know was okay with not starting which i think is the right role for him and you get him back on the cheap. And so I, I do think that this has worked out very well for the Heat. Obviously, you would have preferred for Dwayne Wade to have been a, you know, a player for the Heat for the rest of his – for the, the entirety of his NBA career because I think, uh, you know, Dirk Davitsky is a very special place in Dallas sports because he's been there the entire time. But it, it's still – it's like 5% different. And I feel like you get getting all the positives out of Dwayne Wade
2: and none of the negatives. It really is incredible. It's incredible. And, and the one other thing you mentioned, the off-the-court, and, and we shouldn't let this pass – The fact that Dwayne Wade was here in this market during the Parkland tragedy Mm. um, is really huge and maybe even making me reconsider whether I should have put this first because there is no other athlete in this market who could have had that kind of impact by just walking into a school. There's no one. Okay. What yeah. what happened that day? Just him showing up on the same day that Betsy DeVos was there, right? The education secretary didn't answer any questions and, and the and the students were angry about it and posting stuff. And Dwayne showed up and the whole place was happy for a moment. Okay. As long as he was there, Um, that impact that he has, there's just no one else in South Florida who can be like that at all or even close at, at this stage. Um, And Luongo did a lot for them also. So again, it's, it's been the older guys kind of in the market, but Dwayne's impact uh, in that regard is really second to none, but he is second to something on mine. So I'm going to go to you guys. I'm assuming because neither of you got to it, although I know Fisher got to it a little bit in terms of one game, so what is number one for you, Fisher?
0: Well, it segues perfectly at what we were just talking about. Dwayne Wade being traded back to Miami. Uh, just the reception he got against the Milwaukee Bucks in that game, uh, coming onto the courts, uh, the fact that he just should never have left. The hatchet between him and Pat Riley was buried. It was great to see him back at the AAA wearing a heat uniform. The reception that he got, it just it, – Dipped into those championship years, a little bit of nostalgia there for all the fans, and obviously the greatest player to ever wear the uniform. Uh, it's just a very special moment. Even with Game Two of the playoffs last year, it, it meant a lot for Heat fans to be able to see their hero come back and put on the uniform once again.
1: Yeah, and and, and that's my number one as well. I, I just kind of put it all in one bucket. The you know trade it back to Miami winning game two of the playoff uh, of, of the playoff series against Philly and announcing he's going to come back and retire here at the end of the year as much as you're saying that obviously you should you never should have left I really do think that him leaving for a year going to play in Cleveland uh, play with LeBron when that's kind of like the ultimate place you don't want him to go for for him to come back like I do think that there is an element of a player coming back and a and a player you know leaving and you you sort of miss him and I really do think that the Heat fans I don't want to say we're taking Dwayne Wade for granted but I think I think if he had stayed over a period of two years in which the Heat had a roughly similar amount of success, there's a certain amount of it winding down. It's not special every time he gets introduced into the game. It's just sort of he's playing games and then he would have decided ahead of this year that this was his last one and that would have been that. But I, I really do think him coming back. The fact that every time he comes into the game, he gets an ovation. That for me can only happen if he goes somewhere else. And so I do think that the element of it being a return is what makes this special. I probably like in a, in a different scenario in which he stayed with the Heat and then and then said, "I'm you know this is going to be my last year." It's still probably story number one because as you said, Chris, he's probably you know the the greatest ever player in the history of the franchise. But I I, I do think that. Him coming back and that whole element, and then selling out a bunch of jerseys and all that stuff. I think that adds to the element of it being huge, and it's still feeling like every night. Oh, you're watching Dwayne Wade's return, and you're watching Dwayne Wade's final year. All right, I'm gonna go it to speaks number. To the old one. Adage, go ahead, real please. quick. It just
0: speaks to the old adage: uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And I, I truly believe you're right on with that
2: want to tell you about another great event we're having for the five reasons sports network. And to me, this is our coolest event yet. Cause this is the one that you can involve your kids in. You're not just watching the game. You're also watching them play. It's going to be at gecko parks in Weston. That's three, three zero five corporate Avenue. In Weston, This is a brand new facility. I've been there a bunch of times. My daughter loves to go. I feel like she's at a birthday party there every week because when parents come and see the place, they're like, yeah, this is the place we're going to have a birthday party. They've got trampolines. They've got dodgeball. They've got basketball. They've got games. They've got ropes course. They've got virtual reality now, too. They've got great pizza and wings. And also, they have rock And here's the deal. If you show up anytime between 12 and four, this is on Sunday, the 16th, this upcoming Sunday, show up and say five reasons, buy a day pass, and you will get free rock climbing against your child. This is a $20 value. You can challenge your child, do whatever you want to do. It's going to be a great time. So we'll have all the games on Sunday ticket, Dolphins, Vikings, Gecko Parks. In Weston. All right, let me go to my number one here, and uh, this is going to be a bit of a downer note, um, <laughs> but because uh, I probably should have closed with Wade as number one, but I went into this with this, and and it's just a total context of South Florida sports. To me, the number one sports story in South Florida this year is mediocrity. Hmm. Um, it, it's just the general mediocrity of this market, which has not really occurred before. Now we've had times where some teams have been bad. Okay. I mean, obviously you have a team like the Panthers where everybody still talks about 1996. Okay. They've been bad for a long time. The Marlins have only made the playoffs twice. We know both times because they won the world series, but you're going back to 1997 and 2003. Those have not been good franchises. The hurricanes went through a real lull. The heat, Not so much, right? But there was 2007, 2008. There was 2000, sort of that 2001 to 2003 period. So there have been a couple of periods, not very many under Riley. And then obviously the Dolphins, we know. I mean, no playoff wins since 2000. But I, I don't think there's ever been a time where everybody is kind of stuck, okay? And where you have to actually look at, okay, are the Panthers getting it right? And can they actually move forward? Or is the Marlins' way to rebuild the right way to go to totally strip it down? But there just doesn't seem to be a ton of hope for anybody over the next couple of years. And that's why the hurricanes thing was such a downer. And to put a face on this, you know, there are two faces you can put on mediocrity in South Florida right now. One is not surprising. And that's a guy we haven't talked about at all on this, which is Ryan Tannehill, which is always a big story in South Florida. We didn't really put him in the top five. I mean, I mean, Fisher picked a moment for the Dolphins where Osweiler played. Uh, So (laughs) what, you know, we, we, we haven't really touched on Tannehill much, but he's kind of, to me, been the face of mediocrity in this market. Like, He's okay, but not good enough. And I know he's been better lately and the Tanistans stands are going to jump all over me, but, and again, I've said he's fine under the right circumstances, but to me he's been the face of this is not a market to pay attention to nationally, right? Because nobody pays attention to Ryan Tannehill, nobody pays attention to any other athletes here unless it's Dwayne Wade. Um, and again, we've he's ours, okay, but in, in the context of the greater scheme of things, he's not Kobe nationally, etc. But to me, the face of mediocrity in this market has become the least likely face, and that's Pat Riley. Mm. And so to me, the number one story in this town. For the past year is that the one beacon of strength in this market, the one person you could not challenge for decision-making, because even if he made bad decisions, there was a vision that you believed in. I talked about the loss of confidence in Rick there's been a loss of confidence in Riley, and I never thought that would happen, particularly after 2010. I never thought he and that organization, which is the best organization in this market by far, it has the best people at the top, it's the best run, it's the most streamlined, it's the most forward-thinking, that that organization would put itself in a position where they don't know what to do next. And that's where they are. And they've hamstrung themselves, they've taken themselves out of the room with premium free agents because they have not been in position because they signed guys to contracts that the old Pat Riley never would have signed them to anything close. And they got away from their entire philosophy. So to me, the number one story in this market is Pat Riley took himself out of the room and that plays into the Jimmy Butler situation, which became harder because you had to try to dump pieces that you didn't really want anymore. Um, All of the things that they've done, not being able to be a real player for Kawhi Leonard, which they would have been in past years, all of that plays into it. So I like some of what the Heat are doing over the past week, playing the young guys, seeming to pick some kind of a direction. But they shouldn't be in a position where we're like cheering on a two-in-one road trip. Like that's, that's not the Heat. That's the Dolphins, okay? And, and the Heat becoming the Dolphins this year to me is the number one story in South Florida.
1: It's, it's very well put. I think that it's been shocking to see what's happened. I mean, it's not shocking to see, you know, what, what happened, what's happened with the Dolphins and what's happened with the Hurricanes, because frankly, their last 15 years have suggested that's who they are, frankly, as programs. Uh, but the Marlins are worse than mediocre. They're bad. But I, I will say, though, at least the Marlins show signs of, yes, they're going to, you know, destroy the whole thing. And it's pretty easy to destroy and a lot harder to build it back up. But it's a strategy that's worked in baseball and it's a strategy that could work for the Marlins. But I I do think that Pat Riley, you know, losing approval rating, like I I didn't think, like I thought Pat Riley sustained his approval rating in a clash with the biggest player in the history of the franchise that people were defending, including myself, were defending the decision to let him go and defending the decision to not pay him that amount of money. I think, the degree to which that he sustained approval rating through his entire time here, even when they, you know, had the number two pick in the draft, when they went 25 and 57, when they've had some down periods, Pat Riley still always had top approval rating. He, I mean, I don't want to say quit in the middle of the season, but he quit in the middle of a season to let Ron Rothstein coach out a 15 win team. Like, it's, it hasn't always been great for him, and yet he always had a 100% approval rating. That's gone down, and as you said, you don't know where the next place to turn to is. You don't know what the next thing that's going to lift them out of this is.
0: I have a problem with just the fact that they've dug their heels in, and they're looking to win with this roster. Knowing that, hey, that 30-11 uh, and 11 team that finished two years ago, he's like, well, this is my best option because I missed out on Gordon Hayward. I missed out on Kawhi Leonard. No – The big names, the alpha dogs, no longer want to come to Miami. And that's very surprising considering how much they go out and party after the games here, going to live and whatever. But just the fact that they want to win with this team, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. They're playing for a sixth, seventh seed the last couple of years. Um, I don't believe that this is this way to sustain things. And I think it leads me to what I was writing for the 2019 headlines, actually. That Pat Riley will retire. I think he's just tired of being a mediocre team. If he can't contend for a championship, it's some other, it's another person's turn to take the wheel and to try to lead them back to the promised land. Because it's just not getting done right now with uh, with Pat at the helm anymore, and that's unfortunate considering the greatness he's had for decades now, whether it was in Miami or with the Lakers.
2: All right. So let's get to some honorable mentions here. And then I, we, are, we can do a couple of predictions uh, for next year. One honorable mention that I had, we didn't really mention at all was because there's been such mediocrity in this town that everybody seems to care about colors and logos all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. like, I, I mean, the biggest sports stories over the past couple of months have been the vice jerseys, and the Marlins colors and the Dolphins throwbacks and fields. Um, that that's until the shot of the rock. I, I,
1: I have to do this. Uh, Inter Miami having colors in the name.
2: Yes, here. yes, of course. Inter Miami having <laughs> colors too. I mean, everybody, everybody, all of a sudden is a designer. Like everybody's yeah. Adam Smoot from our network. I, people are invading I, his corner. Get off Smoot's corner, everyone. Yeah, it, exactly. Like <laughs> I mean, that, that's what he does. Uh, so uh, to me, it's just amazing. It just shows you, like, people are. You know, they always say, you know, people, you know, you, you want them to be attracted to sort of the the uniform you know, the player in the uniform, not the uniform. No, Miami sports fans like the uniforms now. That's <laughs> it. The players themselves, they don't know anything about uh, but, but they, you know, they love the colors in the uniform. So that was one of mine that, uh, that did make, not make the list. Any for you guys that we did not mention. So uh, so I've, I've actually got quite
1: a lengthy list here. Um, first, uh, Jarvis Landry and Dominic and Sue and Mike Pouncey all being, letting, uh, be, all being let go on one offseason, that the Dolphins kind of remade their roster in uh, in a personality kind of way, that they, they also uh, d- didn't like to have those characters in the locker room, and Jarvis Landry got his big contract somewhere else. And I think the Dolphins have kind of carried on at the very least the same. You can certainly say by record that they've carried on the same. Uh, and There's a couple of anthem stories this year. First off, Stephen Ross uh, saying they will stand, and then uh, the NFL leaving them out to dry as the first team to enforce uh, that the anthem is conduct detrimental, and then they're saying, no, 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 never mind, and then the Dolphins had like a three-day period in which uh, they were the face of, you know, being against the anthem. They had a couple of those this year. Uh, One, the lightning delay, uh, uh, the two lightning delays in the season opener was kind of an oddity. Uh, I I had the Heat do nothing in an offseason as one, like, again, you mentioned the fact that Pat Riley's in charge of this team. They literally did nothing in an, in an entire offseason. They extended Wayne Ellington. They brought back Dwayne Wade, and that was it. Like They, they did absolutely nothing in, in the entirety of an offseason. Uh, one that I had I'd totally forgotten about um, was Hassan Whiteside. Remember, he basically re- almost ran his way out of town, both with his playoff performance and with postgame comments he made uh, in a game in March in which he said, a lot of teams don't have a good center. They're going to use their strengths. It's bullshit. It's really bullshit and there are a lot of teams that can use a center and he went off on his role and uh, someone followed up by saying you know is this you questioning your position with the heat and he said maybe I don't know that that public stir almost basically uh, ran him out of town the fact that he's still here is kind of insane the Jimmy Butler trade talks um, you, you both have mentioned the Stoneman Douglas uh, tragedy and the South Florida sports world reaction to it you mentioned Dwayne Wade the Panthers did a brilliant job I thought everyone did a really good job in terms of uh, honoring that tragedy and 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 sort of keeping them the proper a proper perspective. I had the Panthers playoff wish falling apart. Uh, UM, UM basketball being on the wrong end of a March Madness buzzer beater that they were in the one shining moment in the wrong way. I don't feel like that's really happened in in, in the course of South Florida sports history. Uh, the report that came out, uh, Stephen Ross wanted them to trade down rather than draft Minka Fitzpatrick. Uh, ownership meddling, I think, was a story uh, with uh, both that story and uh, David Sampson chronicling all the ways in which Jeffrey Loria intervened with running of the Marlins. One this is from a personal point of view uh La Liga announced a regular season match is going to be played in Miami that featured Barcelona that has since been canceled because the regulatory agencies couldn't work that out a La Liga match being played in Miami would have been huge and then uh, my last one is just sort of an in memoriam uh Tony Sperano uh, Wayne Hyzinga and Rasul Butler all passing away in the last year
2: wow those the yeah all three but uh, particularly those first two which yeah. um you know kind of kind of I mean in Wayne's case not as much a shot in the dark but in Tony's I mean that that one came out of nowhere I'm Fisher, says he's named everything down to Miami <laughs> oh, FC <yeah>. uh, <laughs> at, at this point and, and American Heritage uh, losing Patrick Sertan, do, do, you, do you have anything that, that Chris missed?
0: I'll go with two feel-good stories for you this year. Let's start with the Marlins, okay, because they didn't get a lot of love this year. Isaac Galloway, 11 seasons in the minor leagues. He came up with a pinch-hit double walk-off game winner against the Reds at one point. Uh, just the season that he had. For the Marlins to try to make this youth movement move on, um, to bring in a veteran minor leader into the clubhouse, I thought he was a very good, feel-good story this year. And then the -the off-the-field work that Kenny Stills has been doing. We know he's up for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, and we know that he is friends with Colin Kaepernick. And it's really going to be interesting to me to see how that develops, who votes on Stills, because he's definitely deserving, whether it's bringing communities together with police officers, uh, providing Great Christmases and Thanksgivings for families who, can, for, who could not afford that. I think Stills has just been a beacon of hope in our community. And uh, I think he's definitely deserving of the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. But his affiliation with Colin Kaepernick could be interesting. And we know he takes a knee during the national anthem to stand up for social injustice. So I think he just does a bunch of great work in South Florida. We're very lucky, and fortunate to have him here. But I do want to go back to one point real quick, guys. Could you imagine this transpiring into 2019, potentially 2020? Manny Diaz takes the Temple job. Say that goes down this year. Mm. And Willie Taggart is out of a job next year. He's off mm. to another slow start at Florida State. <laughs> Manny Diaz at Florida State. And then Mark Rick gets canned at Miami. That would just be an Oof. ugly embarrassment. <laughs> oh, for oh, my God. Right. oh,
1: boy. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I'm sweating. This is yeah, bad. That's this, bad. This could be really bad.
2: What we we should have ended. We should have ended with your feel-good story. Hey, <laughs> Roddy mcruder has been a great story this year. So is Nick O'Leary. There you go. Can we can we can we go with those? Those those are, are, you those, going those, those are really positive stories. Um, I, I'm on the prediction front. Uh, that that's a good. Well, I don't know if it's a good one. That's a, that's kind of a scary one. Um, on the prediction front, going to go with a couple of different things here. Uh, your prediction on Riley to me is not totally out of whack. Um, I, I've it's just again being around there for more than 20 years i mean if you're in a maze and you can't find your way out at a certain point then you've got to look for sort of a a graceful exit anywhere you can even if it's someone helicoptering you out right and so you know pat always told me i said when when would it when would it be over for you and he says you know i want to win one championship and Then I'm going to Paris. There's not even going to be a post-game press conference. Chris, his wife, we're going to get on a plane. You're never going to find me again. Okay. That was the dream ending, right? Like that's what he wanted with his generational team that's not going to happen. Right. I I think that's clear. They're they're just too boxed in at this stage. And I don't think, I don't think Fisher it's that nobody wants to play in Miami. They can't like Brian Windhorst has, has said, like, that's what other GMs don't understand because the heat still remain an incredibly attractive destination. But Jimmy Butler wanted to be here. Like even though they didn't know they could get a second star um, Gordon Hayward almost picked Miami, even though his college coach was in Boston. I think players want to play here. I just don't think they've created the circumstances the way they created circumstances in 2000, the way they created circumstances in 2010. They've just, they put themselves in a box. It's mostly Riley. It was somewhat Arison with the Tyler Johnson contract, but I would not be surprised. I've told guys who cover that team, don't be stunned. Okay. Don't be stunned Fisher. If at 9:30 in the morning, at some point, you're going to get a press release from the Miami heat. Saying, be at American Airlines Arena. Don't release this to the public. Be at American Airlines Arena at eleven o'clock in the interview room. I I just, I think we're headed there at some point. I remember when it Mm -hmm. happened when he passed the reins to Stan. I remember when it happened when he passed the reins to Spo. He just wakes up one morning and gets his coffee from Dunkin' Donuts if he still does that, and it's just like, it's just not for me anymore. And he's done it a couple of times. I can see him, you know, then moving him into a consulting capacity, a la Jerry West. And to me, what'll be the most interesting thing when that happens is who wins. I'm not calling it a power struggle inside the organization. I don't know this, but who wins the philosophical um, debate inside that organization is is the lead guy going to be Shane Battier, who obviously comes with the Arison's endorsement. Is the lead guy going to be Eric Spolstra? Is it going to be a combination of Spolstra and Andy Ellisberg and Adam Simon? That's going to be fascinating. But I, if I was to say, what do I think the major event in South Florida sports is going to be in 2019? I think it's going to be Pat Riley moving into a consulting capacity. That would be my prediction.
1: My, so That would be I, my number one as well. Okay. You know, actually, you know, what? no, no, no. Go ahead, Chris, and, and sort of round off your your full because you, you seem like you had a few of these. So, 2019 headlines from you, Chris.
0: Well, uh, number one, Dwayne Wade plays final game north of the border. I haven't made it the playoffs. Number two, Dolphins draft a quarterback in the first round for the first time since Dan Marino selecting.
2: Not what happening. Is Will Green? Not, not, not happening, Fisher. Never happening. They're never drafting <laughs> never a quarterback happened. again. Say that, say that every year. Ryan, Ryan Taddehill's farewell tour is 2028, by the way. Get your tickets now. <laughs> never happened.
0: And the Marlins announced Jorge Posada as the new manager, replacing Don Mattingly, who's in the final year of his contract. Andy Pettit, is pitching coach. Mariano Rivera as chief international scout and Bernie Williams, master of
1: ceremonies.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Bernie bringing the guitar. He's bringing the guitar. I like that. That's that's a good one. My winningham. You got
1: any others? Yeah, yeah. I've got I've got three. Uh, One, Ryan Tannehill will be back and starting a quarterback for the Dolphins in 2019. Uh, two, the Heat will acquire a superstar in 2019 in some capacity, uh, whether it's via trade or via free agency, although free agency uh, seems unlikely. I do think they will get that done and acquire a superstar. And because I'm a soccer dork, I have to include this, Inter-Miami will make world headlines by announcing their first player in 2019. They, the, the roster build starts next year, and I think they're going to they're gonna bring in a big world superstar to be that
2: first player. All right, and I'll go with this. Uh, one, Justice will be better um, because we <laughs> oh, have to— Contractually <laughs> obligated so by the Heat beat to say that um, Hassan Whiteside will not start a game for the Miami Heat in the in the calendar year 2019. Wow, that's 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 my prediction. I think they've I think they've hit a point of no return with that one. Uh, the Dolphins, I believe, okay, will draft a quarterback. I, I not in the first round though. That's not happening. I, I believe they will draft a quarterback in the fourth round or later. They will sign Teddy Bridgewater and Ryan Tannehill will win the competition in camp. Um, that's my prediction for the Dolphins. Uh, the Panthers will have games in hand. Um, that's my prediction for March and April that we will be talking about the Panthers having uh, games in hand. And, and I do think uh, that the Rick revolt, as I'm starting to call it a little bit down in South Florida uh, will occur. One other prediction and we will close on this five Reasons sports. will have a website uh, made an announcement <laughs> on that today. We will have a website. You will find all of our podcasts in one place. And by the end of the year, we'll be the dominant sports force in South Florida, other than NBC 6. Okay, so thanks. <laughs> there you thank, go. Thanks, but ahead of the Herald. Thanks to Chris Fisher uh, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Again, you can find him at Fisher NBC 6, F I S C H E R NBC 6, or find him Sundays on Sports Finals. Sometimes Whittingham appears there as well, so don't let that discourage you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Fire in the Podcast. Thank you so much.
3: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator.